Hello there, this is Fiona, host and main GM for What Am I Rolling, a twice-monthly RPG one-shot podcast. This is a bonus Q&A episode to tide us over to the next one-shot, and it is indeed a very special Q&A, as this week I had the absolute pleasure of interviewing game designer and illustrator Fedi Zorns about their upcoming RPG, Zephyr, an anarchist fantasy game of fleeting identities. The Zephyr are the feelings of a living sentient landmass called Afoy that wanders across endless salt flats. The alien feelings come in colours of cyan, magenta, yellow and black, but can merge into hatred, love, longing, all the emotions known to us. Moreover, the Zephyr has physical form, shaping itself into mountains, rivers, plains, as well as living beings. Players play as windfolk, creatures who live on the periphery of Afoy, who one day will depart from their communities to fulfil sacred obligations. They use tokens of the four colours to represent the composition of their characters, keeping track of constitution, spending them as energy to overcome challenges, as well as fusing them together to slowly build the sentimental bonds that will shape their identities. The kickstart of the Zephyr goes live in February, and I highly recommend you check it out. I'm actually incredibly excited for this game after talking to Fedi about it. I think the illustrations are beautiful and inspiring. The game mechanics are really different. I've never come across anything like that before, so I'm really excited to try it out. I think Zephyr will have a big impact in the indie RPG community, so please, please, please go and support it and check it out. I'll put links to Fedi's website, Arakana Media, Zephyr's Kickstarter, and all the relevant links in this episode show notes. All right, well, we'll just start with a very simple and easy, nice question. Who are you and what do you do? Oh, cool. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hi, I am Fede. I am an Argentinian games designer. I have been uh, making games full time since around 2017. Basically, originally moved to London to do acting at around 2015. Uh, that didn't work out or kind of like I, I got sort of like, you know, captured by ttrpgs <laughs> very early on nice <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that's basically uh who i am i'm, I'm a game designer so that's interesting so you've got like an acting sort of background and stuff whereas going into rpgs i think initially obviously there's lots of like game mechanics and stuff but obviously now like improv and acting is quite a, a big thing so how mm-hmm. did you get started in playing rpgs and i guess before or did you start writing at the same mm-hmm. time like what what's your origin story i guess Betty? Uh, the origin story would be I um, mm, probably when I was like uh, 14, 15, <laughs> uh, I basically found like a, a website that was super strange because it was about a city. Uh, mm-hmm. It was kind of like a like a communal internet project about building a city for Warhammer. And I was oh. super like curious because like I didn't know what RPGs were. Mm-hmm. Nobody I knew knew what like uh, those were. And there was this project of people just talking about a fictional city and making articles about neighborhoods and stuff like that and it was so curious and it took me a while to to realize that this had something to do with gaming um, and that it had to do with like warhammer which was a thing that i didn't know what it was and i got the manual and i i sat down with a friend and we barely read any of the rules but we started playing uh, and kind of getting with the flow and yeah that's, that's kind of how it started afterwards i think i i didn't role play for a couple of years until 
I was out of high school and at a job in which like a friend invited me and we played a lot of like World of Darkness. Mm. And from then on, I, I just didn't stop playing uh, RPGs. That's so interesting. Like you sort of came in from it from like a storytelling perspective and that world building thing and not mm-hmm. not real not thinking about necessarily mechanics or like oh this is a franchise that I really love so that's really cool I think that's mm-hmm. made obvious in sort of your your RPGs that you've written about so if you don't mind mm-hmm. I guess from that moment when you sort of building stuff were you always playing or did you suddenly just go I just want to write were you mm-hmm. a player and then you're like no I want to become a game master or did you just start writing on the side like what was that sort of process I was always playing and I, I did like narrating and stuff like that but it was only after I moved to London and uh, had this idea for a game which would eventually become uh, Nibiru mm. um, that I just started writing and, and it was ma- mostly because I had this idea for a mechanic that really captivated me uh, mm-hmm. so it was it was pretty casual the the way I started with it all it just like turned into like a huge thing very fast <laughs> uh, I guess after that so Nibiru was your first game and that's like a mm-hmm. sci-fi game and there's lots of things about memory and stuff like that are you more of a sci-fi person in general so was that was that always going to be the starting point I guess or, or are you do you play lots of different sort of genres or are interested in lots of different genres yeah, I'm, I'm not really locked into any genres. As, as long as it conveys ideas that I find interesting, like mm-hmm. anything can be like an avenue to, any any genre could be an avenue for that. So yeah. Mm-hmm. No, fair enough, fair enough. And what I love about that game as well, because obviously that, that came out a little bit earlier, like was it 2018, I want to say, or 19? Uh, 2019, more 19. or less. Yeah. More or less, mm-hmm. yeah. Because that, again, it has some really evocative um, illustrations, as I know uh, Zephyr does as well. But just these, I always find like artwork that can inspire the storytelling. It's so important, especially when we're going through now a big sort of discussion about AI art and like, mm-hmm. you know, do we just need computer generated stuff? And I think looking at the illustrations that you've been using for your, for your books, it's like, it's something that's so vast and so different. I don't think... Sure, AI could produce it, but you can definitely see the humanity, I guess, in, in that sort of thing. So, yeah. I think it's the difference between what, like, art and just an image. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, art, at least for me, it's supposed to convey feelings, the feelings of someone and their emotions and their ideas, which, of course, is different from, like, an algorithm <laughs> taking <Yes. laughs> something and, and chucking out an image. The image can be beautiful, of course, mm-hmm. but it's really not the same. <laughs> Yeah. And, and speaking of emotions, stuff, let's go on to, to Zephyr then. So mm-hmm. for those people who, who don't know and aren't aware of your workforce, so what is Zephyr, the RPG, and how does it stand out from other RPGs that are out there? Okay, it stands out in many different ways. Like, first of all, Zephyr is basically an anarchist fantasy game of fleeting identities. It's basically a game that is set in this living continent that just walks and, and goes around. And this continent basically is made of a thing called Zephyr. The Zephyr are the continent's feelings and they behave like substances. They behave like liquids, they combine into like rivers, mountains, etc. And the interesting thing also about the Zephyr is that it comes in four colors, cyan, magenta, yellow, and black. And while those colors, those feelings as individual things, we can't really understand because they're they're feelings that are just completely unknowable. When they combine, they can create the feelings that we do know, like fury, sorrow, etc. Wow. Sort of like color theory, where those colors combine. Oh, I love that. That's so cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. So in the game, 
well, everything around you, everything in, in this land that you're going to uh, journey across is made of this zephyr, including the living entities and, and the creatures that you're going to play as, which are the windfolk. The windfolk are basically like just creatures that live in the periphery of, of the continent, like close to the mountains and, and stuff like that. And they live in small communities. They have different cultures among them, different clans, but they all have a very strong custom surrounding obligations yeah. and the importance of reciprocity and obligations and how these obligations which are deeply personal they, they can't really you know it's, it's like a, a date to the movies you, if, if you can't make it you can't say someone else to go and, and and go to the movies with your friend or something like that they have this very strong sort of like organized concept of personal obligation and so the adventure in this game starts when your windfolk is big enough, let's say, to take in a large obligation, like a, like a founding obligation with their community. And so they set off to achieve this obligation. So much to unpack <laughs> instantly. Yeah. So this idea of like a living continent and obviously these emotions becoming sort of like fully formed things. I love I just everything about that. I'm like, that's so cool because it feels so relevant to sort of right now when you think of stuff like climate change and trying to give like personification to things yes. to make us relate to them it sounds like a really weird question but how big are the wind folk are they dwarfed by these massive uh forms of of emotion and stuff like that or are they sort of our size yeah they're a bit shorter they're like a, shorter. a meter and 20 uh, centimeters more right right so in a sense that they are just surrounded by again this sort of sounds like a changing landscape of all these things and them battling against this sort of amazing unpredictability mm -hmm. of it all it, i'm instantly like well i love that idea i definitely would mm -hmm. watch a tv show or a film on that like sort of thing yeah and that started this idea of obligation as well so adding that into that duty as well as this unpredictableness i just mm -hmm. like that so we're possibly a very stupid question but i know you said you ideas that fascinate you sort of um give that inspiration but were there any sources of inspiration that helped with the setting at all Yes, totally. <laughs> <laughs> a very strong um, series of works uh, inspired the book. And mostly, it's been uh, about two, three years of studying anthropology, particularly the anthropology mm -hmm. of societies and communities outside of states and uh, and borders and, mm -hmm. and countries, etc. Mm -hmm. So, a lot of what goes into this book comes from. Well, what the, the main influence or one of the main influence is David Graeber's Debt, uh, The First 5,000 Years, which is a history mm -hmm. of debt. Uh, mm -hmm. And so the difference between debt and obligation that I play around with a lot in the game. Yeah. And then other books like James C. Scott's Against the Grain and uh, Seeing Like a State, Gerda Lerner's The Creation of Patriarchy. Mm -hmm. um, there's a wealth of books that I could name that I've basically yeah, been uh, reading and, and rereading uh, for the project, but it's mostly about anthropology. And I find that quite interesting because, again, I don't know any other RPG that has done that or at least unaware of that. So instantly, mm. I just feel that instantly more of a connection, or at least I can see that sort of like, oh, I can see my place with it, or I can relate to it more than just say, right, I now go fight a dragon. Right, uh, there are there are robots coming, you know, that sort mm -hmm. of thing. I think for me, sometimes those are maybe one to step away from my understanding, whereas here, mm -hmm. I know what my own opinion of what uh, obligation is or a duty is and a debt. And so, yeah, I instantly like, oh, this interests me as a player, and I, I want to find out more about it. So when you're saying about when they go on these... Um, not adventures, but going on to fulfill this sense of obligations. So what kind of mm -hmm. obligations could you give us, give us some examples of what that could be? 
So if you think about it, like most communities, like they self-sustain, they grow their food, they do their stuff like among themselves and that's fine. But these communities are part of like a larger community of different clans, different cultures, mm -hmm. and they do have problems that exceed the normal. You know, there, there's one thing being like, you know, maybe like borrowing some eggs from like your neighbor or something like that and going to like a mountain where you have to fix a bridge, for example, that could mm. be a, a thing. Or maybe there's a landslide that because of a, a separate storm, it turned living and it's mm. marching through a forest and it's, it's bringing all the Ooh. trees down or something like that. There can be like so many obligations, but generally the idea of these obligations is that they exceed what would normally be expected of a normal, like a everyday, you know, your neighbor or, or something yeah. that you uh, <laughs> kind of like act like that. So yeah, that's the idea. It's one of those things where in all RPGs, you need to talk about combat somewhere. But it sounds like to me, you, again, please tell me, is there an idea of combat in this game? But is it something that's no. not as important? <laughs> no, amazing. Oh, I'm already 100% in. Was that a, a, a deliberate decision then not to include something like that or, or oh, yeah, to totally. make it a, a sort of reduced role for that? Yeah, totally. How relevant is combat like in, in our everyday lives? So, <laughs> yeah, so like... true. I don't... <laughs> Like, I think the most sensible thing is if, if something is dangerous, like, you just run away. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, windfolk are generally, I'd like to think, quite sensible people that would just run away from anything that's particularly dangerous. There is a system that is about violence. Right. Um, and this is, well, partly uh, done to account for what happens if you fall off a cliff or, or something like that. Sure. Um, in which, like... Yeah, you, you lose tokens because that's that's another thing. Like the game doesn't use dice. It uses the tokens of the Sephir. Uh, it uses Ooh. tokens that are cyan, magenta, yellow, and black. Oh, very And cool. you have those on your character sheet. Mm -hmm. And those are the constitution of your character at the time. Because there's a lot of like survival aspects in, in the mechanics. You know, if you push yourself and, and as you use your energy, you're going to spend those tokens. And to get them back, you have to hunt, for example or nice. gather and stuff like that and cook the uh, cooking is also a big thing in the game <laughs> and it's it's also very important the combination of tokens that you have because for example if you have all black or if you have all yellow or all cyan or whatever it means that you don't have for example the color combination that your windfall would need to express fear or to express love oh, or something like that wow uh, because of how the metaphysics of, of the setting work so you have to care for that and uh, in terms of like for example uh, violence and stuff like that well you would lose tokens if you sure. if you get hurt or something like that the interesting thing is also that it, there's two types of violence there's the violence that you can incur from nature in in that in that way and then there's something that is tied to the main antagonists of the game which are the salt states the salt states are basically a uh, series of states that happen to be at the center the geographical center of a foy right and they have a completely different system of values they're essentially a, a sort of like debt driven so like ultra capitalist in a way yes i was gonna say uh, capitalism that's, that's why i see it um, big bad capitalism yeah <laughs> Yeah, and of course, like these salt states, they go into incursions into into Windfolk territory, and into these incursions go salt states heroes. 
these heroes go out after having cashing in like years of like toiling at the salt mines. They try to write their legend so they can build a narrative around their conquests in yeah. Windfolk land, etc., and come back and you know become like a lord or something like that. So there's the violence that you can suffer from nature, and then there's heroic violence. Mm. So heroic violence is what happens when salt state hero shoots at you or uh, slashes you with their sword or whatever, wow. uh, which basically is different because the emotions and the ideas behind the violence are different. Mm -hmm. This is what's pushing the shot or, or the sword slash or whatever is like an ideology. It's an entire worldview. There's intentionality, which is not a thing from like damage from nature or something like that in the eyes of the windfold. So when that happens, instead of losing tokens, if you're being shot at, you basically drop tokens in your character sheet and you puncture the character sheet. If oh you're being God. slashed, you drop two tokens, you draw a line, and you slice your character sheet through that line. Oh, wow. uh, so there's a, like a, a palpable difference of like this idea of systemic violence bleeding out into the world and you know changing the character sheet and, and affecting the, the materials of play. I'm a big fan of physical props in general, of being an improviser and stuff. But I love that. Yeah, I, I love anything that you can do. It impacts on the physicality of a sheet so you everyone can see it. Mm -hmm. That's such a cool idea. Yeah, because then it is real, but it feels more real than something. So would you advise then people play Zephyr as an in-person physical game over a digital then to get that experience? Or yes. is it yeah. It's 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 much more of a game to to be played like physically. Well, let's talk about character creation then, if you're happy to. Mm -hmm. So, it, like you said, if there's, if there's no dice per se or, or hit points or anything like that, are the characters very similar? Are there, are there um, I don't want to use the word classes, because I know that that might be different, but are, are there differences mm -hmm. between, can they choose to be more specialized in a certain way, if you see what yes, I mean? Yes, definitely. It's a huge part. So basically, the right. first thing that you pick is your clan. Mm -hmm. uh, there's four clans uh, of Windfolk is like the frontier clan the wind clan the moon clan and the earthen folk uh they all have like their background their ideas they all have different masks so the wind folk use yes masks and... yes and you see that in the illustrations yeah. as well so different yeah 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 exactly they all have different cultures and the idea is that from the moment you pick a clan you go through a character creation process that is uh, laid out in comic form and the idea is that you go through six different short stories, which are stories that are basically the Windfolk's folklore. Mm -hmm. And the stories go to a certain point, and at a certain point, you sort of have to decide what your character believes that the story would go on to be. Uh, oh, wow. Very cool. And depending on what you pick, you know, you might get like a bonus here, you might get more constitution or whatever, or a particular technology or something like that. I've never heard of a, a comic book like that, that sort of style before. Again, very cool. I love that idea. Again, mm -hmm. it feeds into that, this whole thing that you're bringing across that these are stories and we are storytellers and like, you know, a story mm -hmm. of the obligation and the and the debt and stuff like that. So I, I love mm -hmm. that that's already in there from from the beginning and getting mm -hmm. the, the people into that. So as you said, so the six so sorry, just to clarify. So is it six short stories per clan? It's, it's six short stories so for everyone. For everyone, yeah. right? Yeah. The, then there's like traits that the depending on the clan, like there's like unique things that are yeah, that uh, you get to pick. Mm -hmm. And then with the rest, the rest of the process, once you sort of like finish this idea of building your character based on their outlook on, you know, 
the folklore of the of the windfall, you go on to build the obligations. So the obligations have their own system, which is to me it's kind of neat because it means that it's not the GM that's building the the grand adventure and orchestrating like the events, etc. It's the players that are mm -hmm. determining their objective. So you have a whole system that basically measures uh, reciprocity uh, through mm -hmm. a specific type of points that are called OI, which is it's basically a measure of reciprocity. And the right. idea is that you go through the parameters of your adventure, so how far you're going to travel, what's mm -hmm. at stake, how many people depend on, on this obligation being fulfilled, mm -hmm. what is your relationship to the people that you're basically doing this obligation with uh, mm -hmm. for. And you add this up, the heavier the, the obligation, the more oil you get. And those points of oil that you get, you basically can spend afterwards to get technologies. And technologies are right. the main thing that you use to build your character. That sounds like a group collaboration thing. So is that like a pool that they that, that everyone uses or is it individual? It's individual. individual uh, each mm -hmm. uh, each windfall has their own sort of like major obligation right. that they want to fulfill, oh, cool. and that they just set out together because uh, like being alone against like the world is it, dangerous it be, out there. Yeah, yeah, it's really dangerous. <laughs> and that's another thing when you're doing the so even if you do the obligations, uh, the obligations uh, being so sort of like individual, when you think about the technologies that you're getting you want to think as a group because you want to have, for example, someone that's particularly good at hunting, one that's right. particularly good at cooking, one that is particularly good at like, pathfinding and stuff like that. So it really depends on how you balance the roles within like a survival mm -hmm. game and uh, how you build the party and think about like what each person is going to carry mm. and stuff like that. So yeah. How many technologies are there in the game? Is and like you said, I so you, like when you say fifty more or less. Fifteen, and so fifty. Fifty. I was, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I was like, gosh, I don't even. I don't, I'm, sorry, I'm sure there's more, but yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. So there's yes. fifty technologies, and they're not as we would determine technologies as in like electronics per se. You're saying like they're cooking oh, no. and they cover vast area, areas of expertise. That then feels that is a, a group collaboration saying, like you were saying, like, um, okay, my character, I, I have more of this oi, so I could do this, this, and this. Does anyone else want to do this? And 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 have that conversation, which I think is so important because then you have those ties. Mm -hmm. Whilst you all have your individual obligations and uh, going forward and your duties, mm -hmm. this idea that you're working together and being together so you can help each other. I love that as a, as a, as a concept. Mm -hmm. That's very, very cool. And the idea is that, of course, like you're looking at the map and planning, okay, like this is the best path to fulfill mm -hmm. this guy's obligation first. And then we could travel south and stuff like that. Oh, and, cool. And plan yeah. the whole uh, thing. Because the map is also like a big part of the, of the game. One thing that I did pick up on from uh, the the teaser video that you've sort of released in the last couple of days for the Kickstarter, mm -hmm. which I know we'll we'll talk about in a little bit, this idea that this sentient continent is walking, continue on, which sounds incredible. Yeah. I can't even fathoms like that at all. But I'm just like, oh my god, that's amazing. But the idea that it has four lungs that give birth to this sort of like multicolored mm -hmm. storms. And I know, obviously, that, like you said, it's, it's tied into the colors and, and sort of the emotions and stuff. So these storms, then, they influence the land. So they're not necessarily the big bad, like you were talking before, about the, the center, so the salt heroes as mm -hmm. champions. As, is that just sort of another element? Is that a bigger role in sort of like the encounters that the, the Windfolk would face, if you see what I mean? Yes. Weather is an actual thing, like as, as a system, like when the oh, cool. sort of like session starts, you have to determine what the weather is, depending on the season, because, of course, like 
the seasons are, are also like a big thing. Like you have one season for each color, which depends entirely on which lung is is sort of like exhaling. Uh, Amazing. <laughs> um, it's also a pretty big thing because if you think about it, if a lung is sort of like full to the brain with zephyr, it means that it pushes the plague upwards. So the entire like entire quarter of the thing is pushed upwards and you have like rivers that are flowing down and the mountains start to cover with shadow like huge swathes of land so you have like micro winters happening um the earthen folk for example uh, which are one of the clans have their base at a place which is called the leaning citadel or that wasn't the bowing citadel so the idea is, is that this bowing citadel which is made of like stone that they carved but it's bowing to one side. And the idea is that only through one season, that citadel sort of like goes upright and they can actually live in it. Uh, Oh, beautiful. That's so cool. But it's a huge thing because you have entire rivers and lakes that sort of like flow down and become emptied. And you have this shifting rhythm between the four flakes as the one lung inflates and the other deflates and stuff like that. So depending on the season, uh, the weather can change. And that's the thing that uh, tokens are not. So tokens basically happen to be in either on your character sheet or in your region. And the tokens nice. that are in your region, you can interact with. You can harvest them. You can use them to like make changes to the, the story, like making like a creature pop or like an event happen, mm-hmm. etc. So there's interplay. A lot of the times when you're spending tokens, you're moving them from your character sheet to the region and the players get other choices they can do with uh, those tokens as well. So, Amazing. Yeah. You know what? I hadn't even thought that the lungs were part... Like, I was just, like, for me, I'm just like, yeah, I guess they're raised up now, but the idea that at any one time and i i assume it's like a gentle rise and fall rather than yeah, some it, like, it shoot. Takes like three months <laughs> right yeah, that's no, what, it I, takes I, like months yeah because otherwise mm-hmm. that would be like oh no i can't get into the the citadel now balls you know <laughs> that sort of thing mm-hmm. but yeah i love that that means so much because i i know before again like you were saying like obviously the emotions of influence land and they create these things but the idea that your ecosystem is constantly mm-hmm. changing like you said the, the river's flowing away and then gone and then back again like it's a plan mm-hmm. for that sort of thing from a world building's perspective, that's such an interest. That's as again so different to say than a normal castle, uh, a normal <laughs> castle, uh, a medieval castle on a on a hill. You know where we all have those those assumptions or stuff like that. This idea that actually it is the land you need to think about and how that affects the cities. And like yes. I said, this, this bowing citadel are already in love with it. That sounds incredible. Yeah, world building wise, it's also like super fun to think of all the implications of it. But because, for example, this this land, like the land of the four, is like thoroughly scarred. It's like full of like you know cracks and uh, because it's it's land that's constantly moving and shifting, and there's earthquakes and stuff like that. So, for example, how do you build a bridge in this yeah. place? Well, uh, there's some bridges that are basically built so that they only connect exactly when there's like a plague that is uh, leaning in. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, there's like a whole uh, thing where there's like maybe like a salt state outpost next to the river. And that outpost, like the salt state incursions uh, have to build like a sort of like moat where you have like a separate place where you can dock a ship for when the whole thing empties uh, down river <laughs> and stuff yeah. like that. So. A lot of the logistics of how people move around and and animals that travel in herds and how do they 
deal with this stuff is, is super fun to right. <laughs> to write about. I was yeah, well, well that's actually my next question then. Of course, already I'm invested in this amazing world. So kudos to that. But was there a favorite bit that you you wrote and you're like, I guess it's a very hard to like pick your favorite bits from something that is already really, really interesting, I'm sure. But mm-hmm. was there a favorite bit when you wrote it and you were like, this is this is what I want people to get excited about, if you see what I mean. Oh my god, it's there's so <laughs> much. Was, was there several things? Yeah, feel free to name drop them all. I'm very I'm just yeah, curious. Th- there's lots. I-, I think the idea of like the bridges being a thing that changes depending on like well, for example, they're like hanging bridges, a thing where like hanging bridges, of course, would be preferred because they kind of like, you know, they can sort of like manage the the shifts and well, the the bowing citadel kind of mm-hmm. thing. There's so many different aspects. There's aspects that tie to the metaphysics of the setting because you have a zephyr and then you have a particular material that's called ammonium that okay. is uh, like a colorless thing that just make thing, makes things grow. Uh, and it has like a huge part in the setting about like there being ammonium in the cracks. And if you see like uh, trees at a, at a particular place that are rising up like really high, like it's there's probably like ammonium deposits. That's where it is. And... Yeah. So yeah, go find that yeah. sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I like that. Yeah, you, there could be absolutely nothing. There's suddenly like trees and you're like, all right, I know, yeah. what, <laughs> I know what's there. So my, mm-hmm. the flip side to that question, which I appreciate, is a very horrible question. It's like, was there a, a part that you found maybe difficult to convey or a, a challenge, I guess. Was there something that was challenging about writing this that you felt? Oh, yeah, totally. Oh, yeah. <laughs> to me, the most complex thing to convey is the, the very idea of the Zephyr. The, the idea that mm. there are these feelings, there are alien feelings, and they behave like substances, but at the same time, they can combine into like the feelings that we do know. That sort of thing, uh, to me at the beginning was, and even still now, sometimes, depending on how I word stuff, I, mm-hmm. I, I find it kind of hard. But I think the fact that I'm using the tokens and that the players have are interacting with the very thing just right in front of them, mm-hmm. uh, that there are no other elements like dice that, you know, they're much more abstract in, 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 my, in, in my head. When it comes to it, it it helps a lot, I think, to convey the, the metaphysics of the feeling because you're you're asking of the players and the readers to like go into kind of like a high level sort of like exercise in this case of like imagining this whole thing, content made of feelings, and you know it's it's quite detached, I think, from reality in a way in which I don't know it, it's tough to sort of like convey, but the whole tokens thing uh, helps mm-hmm. a lot, I think. I think it's one of those things where I suspect it's like you have to play it because I like I instantly see when you're talking about these things I'm like I feel like I can relate to that a lot more than like I was saying before like fighting dragons or anything like that just because I I'm in touch with my emotions that's not what I meant but like I I, I definitely see that more but I, I can understand like once you play it going oh I guess it just from mm-hmm. like it is fueled like you were saying by the, that collaborative storytelling and by the players using that sort of, that's so cool for people who want to play or run Zephyr what would be your big tip or main advice for, for running a session or a campaign of Zephyr? If you're going to run Zephyr, I think the fact that the players are going to determine the main goal is, is something that is good to have in mind. Because generally, at least the way I was taught or, or learned to narrate was sort of like thinking about point A, how everything is started, and point C, and see how that happens. But in here, like, Point A is how the game, you know, starts, mm-hmm. is determined by the by the game. And point C is decided by the players. 
So I think it, it shifts a bit, the, the role of the narrator. I think that the role of the narrator in this game, you kind of want to, you kind of have to use the fact that you don't have the responsibility of determining the lofty goals of the, of the party, mm -hmm. but instead try to subvert the narrative in interesting ways. Like mm. think about how the trip is not going to be as expected, like right. of the stuff that, that basically is going to, you know, it's not going to be smooth sailing <laughs> across the way <laughs> and, and kind of play a bit the trickster uh, part, not in a bad, so like bad faith kind of thing, but just, mm -hmm making it like interesting in in ways unexpected i think that's uh the, mm -hmm. the advice i would give you don't have that responsibility of creating those lofty goals so mm -hmm. you can use that energy elsewhere yeah I, I i appreciate that as as a narrator myself just like mm -hmm. oh god i've got to i got to think of everything whereas you're mm -hmm. yeah being open to that collaboration with the players yeah well we've come to the end of our wonderful interview Teddy, and i just yeah i i'm already so excited you got me with the illustrations and now i'm in for the emotions the bowing citadel mm -hmm. i'm totally in so where can we find out more about your work tell us about the the kickstarter for zephyr and what can we expect from that or, or from you and and obviously your company in the next year or so i appreciate you've probably been working all of this so you want to get it all out but if there's anything else coming yeah. up, please let us know it's your time to shine so you can find me on the oracana media twitter that's my company the Twitter is Oracana1. Uh, in the oracana.com website, there's also like newsletter and stuff like that. And from the Kickstarter, you can basically, it's starting now on February the 1st, and you can expect the box of the game to be box. It comes with the tokens, the book, and a couple of maps. So everything that you need to play uh, mm -hmm. basically comes in the box. What can you expect from me? Like, I'll just... <laughs> Most of my time will be uh, just drawing for Zephyr because it takes a lot of like illustration uh, course, work. Yeah. So yeah, I'll I'll spend most of my time drawing and, <laughs> and writing and stuff like that. So yeah, is there like a, a Discord or anything like that where people can come together and, and talk about it? And yeah, their totally. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. All right, cool. I'll, There's I'll... also a Discord. Mm -hmm. Cool, cool, cool. I will put a, a link to that in the episode show notes as well, because obviously we'll uh, signal boost everything like that. Oh, mm -hmm. Freddie, I'm honestly, you've made my Monday. <laughs> I'm so oh, I'm excited. <laughs> I'm so excited for this game. It just, it's everything I want in in the RPGs. I think at a time now where RPGs, there's a lot of discourse happening just now. It kind of sucks the joy out of it when you hear about these sort of things. But stuff like mm -hmm. this, instantly, I'm sort of, I'm interested. When can I play it? What's going on? So no, thank you for sharing. <laughs> Zephyr, I can't wait for the Kickstarter and best of luck with it. I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, obviously, it's going to be a success. It's about emotions. Yeah. I'm invested. <laughs> but yeah, no. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thanks, you. Thanks for having me. I'm hoping to do more of these special Q and A bonus episodes in future, including Q and A's on the one shots we've done here at What Am I Rolling. If you have a question or think of an RPG designer you'd like to see interviewed on this podcast, let us know. Our email address is What Am I Rolling Podcast at gmail.com. And that's it. Great. See you next time. <laughs>